Good morning. Hope you guys are good. Um, excited about this morning. We're going to continue uh, the series called Counterfeit. It's just two weeks long. We began last week, so we'll wrap it up this week. Uh, in this series, we've uh, really been looking at how much of the time what we end up believing in, what we become a part of, oftentimes is what I would define as a religious system. And so we may start out in faith in Christ and walking in uh, his love, his grace that he gives us freely through our faith and trust in him. But oftentimes we end up resorting back to works, um, what we can do, trying to make ourselves acceptable to God rather than realizing um, that it begins with God and his grace. Uh, his, God, his grace, his love changes us and then out of what he does in us, he does his work through us, and ultimately he's glorified. And so it really begins and ends with God. And today I want to uh, go through uh, scripture, and I really, my prayer is today that God would open our hearts to be able to see his plan of reconciliation, how he brings us back into relationship, and again, that we see that it's by faith and trusting in his promises. Um, I hope today that the Spirit would speak to our hearts and really that we leave here in awe of what God's done um, and we leave here in awe of who he is. And so uh, today we're going to start that in Genesis chapter 1. We're actually going to begin in the beginning and uh, we're going to read there at verse 27 is where we're going to start. Um, <clears throat> while you're finding that, that shouldn't be that hard to find, but while you're finding that, uh, first book, first chapter, um, I wanted to tell you a couple of things. One is that next week is uh, baptism. So if you have not been baptized and you feel that the Lord is leading you that way and uh, that you want to publicly profess your faith and celebrate uh, what's happened spiritually inside of you um, publicly and physically, then we'd love to walk you through that and help you uh, with that. And so if you have not been baptized, you feel that that is what God's leading you to do, uh, we'll love to help you if you'll sign up. Just sign up at the Next Steps table. We'll get in touch with you and help walk you through that. Um, also, today, I want to uh, just draw attention to the fact that it is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, the reason you're here is because you didn't get invited either. So, um, But besides that, uh, Memorial Day has become known really as uh, holiday weekend, that we think of cookouts, we think of uh, trips to the coast or the beach or the mountains, whatever it might be. I just want to encourage you that throughout this weekend that we do pause to remember why we have Memorial Day. Uh, there's a lot of men and women who lay down their lives so that we can do what we're doing right now, so that we can have the lives that we have and just to remember the men and women who are sacrificing right now for us. And I think about that, actually, I think about it a lot um, because I, I know how hard it is for me to leave my family. And I think about the men and women who have given their life and are sacrificing for us right now uh, so that we can do the things that we do. And that is, um, that's a huge sacrifice. And so, Let's remember that uh, you see someone in uniform, not just this weekend, but always. Let's thank them, and I just appreciate what 
you guys who have served have done and, and those who are serving um, what you are doing for us. And so I uh, want to remember that this weekend. So let's get into the last week of counterfeit. Uh, so we're going to begin reading in Genesis 127, uh, go through 28, and then we're going to flip to chapter 2 and chapter 3. Um, and this scripture will be where we begin. We'll look at a lot of other scripture as we go through. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. At this point, God has created everything else, and so now he is creating man. It says he created man in his own image, in God's image, the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now let's flip over. So God's given them, uh, as he's created them, a clear understanding of what they are created for and who they're created to be. In Genesis 2, in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature. That was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, chapter 3, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but... The serpent comes in, Adam and Eve are tempted. They, in a, in a moment of doubting uh, and trusting in what God was giving them and promised to give them, they recognize in this fruit, as the serpent points it out to them, that it's pleasing to the eye, that it's good for food, and that it's um, useful for gaining wisdom. And in this quest for wisdom and, and understanding and and thinking perhaps God's holding something out on us, Eve takes the fruit, eats it, gives some to her husband. And then we pick up in verse 7. It says, The eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the message. Lord, thank you so much for your word, God. Um, 
Lord, today I, I simply pray that through your spirit you would not let these just be words that um, hit surface level in our mind or that just fly past us, but that through your spirit, God, they would penetrate deeply into our hearts and, God, that we would leave here in awe of you and who you are, what you've done, God. Um, Lord, I, I just pray that we would have ears to hear what your spirit would say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, obviously, have a whiteboard back here. Um, don't usually have one of those. So uh, it's going to be a little bit different today. Um, I, I really want to spend the next few minutes uh, trying to show you something that I feel like God has shown me, something that I feel like the Lord has uh, really been uh, impressing on me and, and, and that has honestly changed a lot of how I approach God and Scripture for in a good way. It's, it's helped me to see more clearly God's plan. And so today I'm going to do some writing. My goal today is that we would see clearly God's plan of reconciliation, bringing us to himself, and that I leave here without black marker all over me. And so um, today what I want you to leave here and what I really want you to see is that this, that the Bible is God's revelation of his plan and execution of his reconciliation with the world. Ooh, barely got it in there. All right, so the Bible is how God reveals to us his plan and the execution of that plan to reconcile us to himself, to make us right with him again. Now, I hope that by the time we get to the end, that that statement is going to make more sense to you, maybe, than it does right now. But I want you to just see for right now and, and, and be thinking along these lines that the Bible is how God reveals to us his plan of reconciliation and how he has executed that plan. Now, the first thing I want you to see in this is if you go to... Uh, verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, and, and God is creating man. He says, he says, let us make man in our image. And you see where God is communicating with man. He creates man. There's a perfect relationship with man. In his image, they are unified. They are, they are bound together. There's, there's no break in this relationship. Man is comfortable with God as God has created him, and there's no understanding of shame and guilt and all these things. And so the very first thing I want you to see as we look at Genesis chapter 1 is that there's a right relationship with God. There's a right relationship with God. There's a perfect relationship between God and man. They are one together. As God has breathed life into him. And so we, we see that. I also want you to see that man was created in the image of God. And so man knew who he was. He knew um, how he was created, whose image he was created in. 
He knew why he existed and who he existed as because he was connected to his image bearer. There was no question about um, who he was because the creator is always the best one to tell the created why they exist. And so man was not just right with God, but he was right with himself. He was connected to his image bearer. He could see who he was. He could see who he was created to be. The third thing I want you to see in this, and you can see this if you look over in chapter 2, is that the man and the woman were one. They were, they were in a relationship that was whole and healthy. It was right. It was good. That relationship with themselves was what it was supposed to be. They had a common purpose and a unity that existed between them. And so not only was there a right relationship with God, not only was man right with himself and, and able to understand who he was, his identity was clear as he was connected to God, as he could see God, but there was also a right relationship with others. As we see with Adam and Eve. And so there was this good creation. It was all very good. And we see in verse 28 of chapter 1, listen, that there was clarity because they were right with God and this relationship was right. They were right with themselves. There was they were right with each other. The, the purpose for which they were created was also clear. There was clarity around why they existed. God tells them that very clearly in Genesis 1.28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over creation. And so their purpose was clear, and that purpose was this. Fill the earth, not just with anything, but fill the earth with God's glory. Because as they were created in his image, as we even now look to Jesus to see at what perfect humanity looks like he's saying be fruitful multiply fill the earth but it wasn't just to occupy it it was to fill it with God's glory it was to reflect who he is and what he's like and for all of the rest of creation to be in awe of who he is and so this was the purpose it was very clear in verse 28, but when sin comes in, what we begin to see is that this is all broken. We, we see in chapter 3 that relationships begin to be broken. We begin to realize this. We begin to see that when sin comes in, there's no longer a right relationship with God. Because sin separates us from God. He is righteous and we aren't righteous. So we don't have a right standing with God. He is very different than we are. 
And so when we begin to see this, we notice this just as soon as sin comes in, God comes walking through the garden. He's coming to the man. They go and hide. They recognize their guilt. They recognize their shame. They don't run to God. They run away from God and they hide from God. And so we see that this right relationship with God is broken. We also know this, that Man and woman now, they recognize they're naked. They can't see clearly who they are. They, they, they feel the shame. They feel the guilt. And it begins to blur, mar, separate them from who they were created to be and what they and who they were designed to look like. And so there's this broken ability to even understand who they are. And so this too, was broken. We also see in here that the relationship with Adam and Eve is very different now. It, too, is broken. As you see that from having a unified purpose, being so um, whole and, and so united that they don't even recognize shame and guilt and nakedness. They are, they are vulnerable with each other. You see now in verse 12 that the man begins to blame the woman so that what God intended to be a blessing and to be a help for him, he now views as the source of his trouble. And so this is broken. And it's important that we see this, that without a right relationship with God, without understanding who we are and who we were created to be, without a relationship with others, I want you to see this, I want you to get this, that the purpose for which we were created cannot be accomplished. It cannot. There is absolutely no way we can do this when our relationship with God is broken, we no longer have a clear identity of who we are or who we were created to be, and our relationship with others, therefore, is shattered. It's not what it's supposed to be. Now, because we're not connected with God, all three of these things begin to be distorted and redefined, not by the truth of who God really is, who we were created to be, or how God wants us to relate and interact with others, now we're forced to define these things simply by the experiences that we have in life. All of that's broken at this point. But what I want you to see now as we continue to look and go through this is that God, God was not surprised by this. God had a plan that existed from eternity. It was before the foundations of the earth. He knew this was going to take place. He knew he was going to do something to reconcile his creation back to himself, to give back this ability and a clarity of purpose for which we were created. And I want you to see that through Scripture. Now, as I said, the whole Bible 
is God's revelation of his plan and execution of that plan to make us right with him, to give us back our identity, to show us who we are, who we were created to be, and to give us the ability to have right relationships. Every word in scripture points us to that. The whole Bible is his plan and execution of that plan to make us right again. But today I want to just take a few um, pictures and snapshots from scripture to show you how this plan is unveiled, how it rolls out through scripture. So now if you turn about nine chapters over to Genesis chapter 12, I want you to, 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 to see that God comes to a man by the name of Abram who would ultimately become Abraham. And I want to read to you verses one through three. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, so God has come to Abram. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, flip over a few chapters to Genesis 15, still God speaking to Abram. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I'm, I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be, your heir, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so this is Abraham. He's about 100 years old. He, he, he's recognizing that He's very old, but God's made this promise. He's going to make him into nations. He takes Abraham outside. He says, look at the stars. He said, count them if you can, because this is how your descendants are going to be. I'm going to multiply you in this way. And Abram is astonished by this. But verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so I want you to see three things from this section of Scripture. The very first one is this, that God comes to Abram, who will become Abraham, and he begins to reestablish relationship with mankind. Okay, so God comes to Abraham. Abraham didn't go to God. They tried that in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. didn't turn out so well. So God comes to Abraham and he begins to restore or establish relationship. And so God comes to him. He begins to speak to him. He begins to establish this way of relationship with Abraham. The other thing that God does, as you see in chapter 15, is he shows how righteousness will be attained. He, he credits righteousness to Abram, not because of 
all the great things Abram had done, but simply because he trusted in God's promise. And so recognize this, that Abram was made righteous by his faith, not because he made himself right with God. Everybody got that? The next thing I want you to see is that God again clarifies Abram and all of creation's purpose. So he shows clearly the purpose of his creation. And he does that in Genesis 12, 3, when he says all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so there's something here that God is doing that is much bigger than Abram. It's it's for the whole world. But right now, what we see is that God has shown us that righteousness comes by faith. He's establishing a way of relationship, and he clarifies again his purpose to Abraham. All right, next, flip over one book. Go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. So this is Abraham. God has come. He's made an agreement, a covenant, a promise to Abraham. Exodus 19, I want to begin in verse 3. This is God speaking to Moses. Moses is at Mount Sinai. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. In other words, these descendants that have come from Abraham that God has established relationship with as a special chosen people that he's going to use to bring forth Jesus the Messiah. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And so now we have God communicating with his people through Moses. Now, after this, in chapter 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. After that, there are a lot of other commandments and things that they do that God has given them to do. Now, I want you to see in this that the first thing God is revealing as he gives the law or his commandments, um, as he begins to unfold all of that for them, is he's giving them a better understanding, a deeper understanding of his character and nature. Okay? Character and nature. He is revealing more of who he is. And two, he is showing them what righteousness looks like. So he's revealing more of who he is in the perfection of, that he's asking of them in the law, the commands that they are to keep. He's showing them more of who he is, his perfect nature, um, his righteous character. And he's showing them what righteousness looks like and he's showing them what it's going to take if they are going to be right with him. Now, I want you to understand, I want you to be very clear on this, that 
the law was never meant to save. The law is perfect and holy is what the apostle Paul said in one of his letters. But listen, it was weakened not because it wasn't perfect. It's the character and nature. It's the perfection and righteousness of God. It was weakened not because it wasn't perfect. It was weakened because we are unable to keep it. We are unable to live this way. Sin has caused us to be unrighteous. Um, We have all sinned. We've fallen short. And so the law only has the power, listen, the commands, the rules he gives Moses, they only have the power to condemn. They don't have the ability to save because we in and of ourselves cannot keep the commands. We break them all the time. Right now, y'all need to clean up them thoughts, right? I'm kidding, for some of you. But, but it wasn't intended to save. It shows us the character and nature of God more deeply. It shows us what righteousness looked like. And see, here's the thing. When we see who he is and we see who we are in our sin, then we recognize, man, I am in bad shape. I am in a mess because I will never get this right on my own. And so the law that came and that has only got the power to condemn this It didn't stop there. It points us to the need to be saved. It points us to a need for a savior. But what God is showing is that he is establishing relationship, that righteousness will be attained by faith, that our purpose has not changed, that his character and nature is very different than we are, and that if we are looking into his word and his law and the commands, see how far short we come, we begin to realize I need somebody to bridge the gap between me and him. And so then... We come to the next guy that I want to talk about today. His name's David, King David, David and Goliath, that guy. And so flip over, you got to go several books over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is at the end of David's life. I'm hoping that if you can hang with me, we can tie all this together in just a moment. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, let's begin there in verse 12. This is the prophet Nathan, God speaking to David through the prophet Nathan. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up for you or or your offspring to secede you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name or is going to be the one who builds the temple. And I will establish, listen, the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But listen, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 
And so what I want you to see that God is promising David is that there will be one who comes from you that ultimately is going to rule, who's going to reign, who's going to sit on this throne forever. And so he's pointing back to his people's ability to rule. You remember in Genesis 1 when God said, be fruitful, multiply, increase in numbers? He said, subdue the earth. He says, rule over all of creation. Well, this is what God is really coming back to. He has in mind not just a physical kingdom that's going to rule and reign. He has in mind complete dominion that sets us free to be able to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. That makes sense? So listen, the Bible talks about how Jesus has set us free. But listen, he set us free not to do our will, but to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. So that now I'm no longer bound by sin to live a certain way. I'm no longer bound by Satan to only be able to do things according to my old ways. But when I come to Jesus, I'm set free from sin. I'm set free from death. I'm set free from the grasp of Satan so that now Jesus is sitting on the throne and he has given back his creation the ability to rule and to reign over creation so that nothing can stop his church, nothing can stop his believer from fulfilling his purpose, which is to fill the earth with God's glory. And so through Jesus, he's come back, he's given this rule and see Jesus descended. He he came from this line of David. That's what God is promising is that there will be a king who sits on this throne forever. But I want you to notice something. These are all promises. These are all covenants that God made or agreements that God made with people. And so God has promised to do these things. But at the time they were promised, all of these things were just that. They were promises. And so by the time we get past David, we we realize that these things and all this amount of time that passes, they've not yet been fulfilled. They're promises, but they've not yet been realized. And I want you to see, though, how all of these things were fulfilled in Christ, in Jesus. So that it's through Jesus that we see the fulfillment of these things. And we will see the perfect fulfillment once he comes and we rule and reign over earth. But right now, listen, this is, this is what's so important. God is revealing his plan of reconciliation and his execution of that plan. We saw where we fell short, but we come to Abraham. We see that he's going to make a promise of all these things. But it's when we come to Jesus that we see this fulfilled that Jesus establishes a way for us to come into relationship with God. We also see that Jesus gives us back the righteousness that we lost in the garden due to sin and the sin that we've committed. We've lost our righteousness, but the Bible says that he who had no sin became sin 
so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus gives us back his righteousness, this righteousness that was lost. And we begin to see again that it wasn't just for us that this was done, but that it began with God. It's going to end with God as we take what we've now been given and we fill the earth with his glory. It all begins to reflect back to God. And so we begin to see the relationship is reestablished. Righteousness has now been given. The purpose has now been made known. And we know from Abraham that it would not be by what we do, but by simply trusting in his promise. And so when we come to faith or belief in who Jesus is, and we come to trust in the promises that he's given us, we are made righteous, brought into perfect relationship. We begin to recognize our purpose And things begin to change. We begin to recognize all that Jesus did. I want you to see that. I want you to be able to understand that Scripture reveals this to us, that this is why God has given us his word, is so that we can see what he has done, that we can see who he is, that we can recognize, listen, that the Bible was written by over 40 people. Listen, it's 66 books, but I don't know why. I'm not going through puberty again. I don't know why my voice keeps going high like that, but the Bible is 66 books that tell the whole, the same story, right? A God-centered story that points us to all of this that was lost in the garden being reestablished for us in Christ by simply trusting in who he is. And what he's done. And so today I I want you to understand that this is why Jesus came. Go read. I don't have time to read it today. But go read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It speaks about the ministry of reconciliation. Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5. He says Christ's love compels us. Why did Paul do all that he did, endure all that he did? Because he was compelled by the love of God that he found in Jesus. It was the grace of God, he said, that worked more through in me and through me than anyone else. He said it wasn't me trying to do it all. It was me resting in the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that, that, that moved me, compelled me to go. And so we see that all of this comes full circle in Christ that every word in scripture points us to this a reconciled right relationship with God but not only has Jesus made us right with God now we are connected again to our image bearer we can once again see who we are the apostle Paul in his writings used in Christ or in him something to that effect over 160 times why did he do that because it's imperative that we don't allow the world to one define who God is we don't allow the world 
world to define who we are. We don't allow the world to define our purpose and relationships with others. We come to scripture and we see how God defines himself, us, and others through the truth of his word. Our mind begins to be renewed and we begin to not only walk in right relationship with God, but we become whole ourselves and we begin to fulfill his purpose as we begin to have relationships that are right with other people. And so all of that takes place through the work of Christ unfolded through centuries of time as God reveals himself and his plan. This is what I really want to encourage you with today. It's important to read God's word, but it's also important to read God's word for the right reason and to gain the right purpose or for the right purpose. It's important, and I want to tell you, and I've mentioned these in messages in the previous weeks, but I want to write them up here. I want you to really remember them because this is what God is revealing to us in Scripture. And I I really want you to ask four questions when you go to His Word. I want you to first ask this, how is God or who is God revealing Himself to be? Who is God revealing himself to be? His righteous character, his nature. Who is he? Number two, who am I? Apart from Christ, who am I? Because all of scripture answers this, that we're sinful, we've fallen short of God's glory, that he's very different than us. Whether he's talking to the stubborn Israelites and and getting onto them for being disobedient or whoever he's speaking to, we see ourselves in Scripture as apart from Christ. I'm sinful. I'm separated from God. The third thing, what has God done? What's God done? And we have the privilege, the ability to look backwards at the cross to read all of scripture in light of the cross so that we see every word points to the cross. Even in Genesis, when sin happens in 315, he prophesies that one will crush the head of Satan, meaning Jesus. He, He makes a sacrifice in 21 to cover their sin and shame. And all of that points us ultimately to the sacrificial system and what Jesus would ultimately do on the cross to give us back our ability to rule as he crushes the head of Satan and sets us free from his power. So what has God done? We look at the cross. We look at every word of scripture pointing us to that. The next, the last one, who have I become? And the Bible is 100% clear that when we come to trust in the promise of Christ and who he is, that we become the righteousness of God, no longer defined by experience or even our past, present, or future sin, but defined by the righteousness of Jesus. And we see who I am now in Christ and this is so incredible I want you to see that as we look at who God is and we see what God 
has done. It's number one and number three. Those are the reasons why we worship him. We see who he is. But listen, when God shows up at Mount Sinai with Moses, the Israelites fled. When Adam and Eve realized that God is there, they fled, they ran. But now, rather than who God is being something that draws us away, is someone who draws us to him because we also realize what God has done. And this, these two things are why we fall on our face before God is because we recognize how other he is, how holy he is. We also recognize what he's done so that now I can come to him as perfect and holy as he is and I worship him for who he is and what he's done. Then when I see number two and number four, it becomes my motivation. I look at this, look at what God's done. Look at who I've become. And the motivation is his love, his grace, his power that's working in my life. It's not because I need to come in and check a box. It's because I realize who he is, who I am apart from Christ, what he's done and who I've become. And this leaves us every time in awe because I see the measure of his grace. I see the chasm that we sing about earlier. I see the chasm that exists between me and God and how much it, it took to bridge that gap, how big his grace is. I see that Jesus took my sin and gave me his righteousness and he didn't just die for the politically correct sin. He died for all sin so that his arm is never too short to save because he took all of my sin so that now I can become the righteousness of God and I'm telling you this people a religious system of just doing will never do this for us it's faith in Christ and when we come to a place of all and recognizing his love and not just mentally saying he loves me but realizing that, that this is an incredible, un, unbelievable almost understanding of what he's done. And his love begins to compel me. I begin to see then that this doesn't, did, listen, this didn't start with me and it does not end with me. So that it goes from God to me, this thing's trying to run from me, to the world and back to God. Listen, sin begins with me, grace begins with God. And it's his grace that works in me to compel me to fill the earth with his glory and ultimately he's glorified. But it begins with him, it ends with him. That is the message of the gospel. That's the, listen, the gospel didn't start in a manger in Bethlehem. The gospel didn't end with the resurrection of Christ. The gospel started in Genesis 1-1 and it goes all the way through to Revelation 21. 
It's all the, the, the gospel. It's all the story of God, a God-centered story where it begins with him, it ends with him. And in between, we are left in awe of his love and grace that can save a sinner like me. And this is what I want you to see. When we see these four things, clarity once again comes. Purpose once again comes to us. We begin to see it clearly. But listen, it has to happen in this order. Listen, I'm right with God and in that relationship, I clearly begin to see who I am in Christ. I begin to walk in his grace, receiving his love and walking in it. And then I'm able to have healthy relationships with other people. But if we just go from God to what I'm supposed to do and we bypass this fact that I have to be strengthened, I have to be uh, compelled by the love of God. I consistently need to see these things and be left in awe of God. And we come to here, that's just the religious system telling us what to do. And we're just empty people doing what God says that doesn't fulfill us. And so it's got to happen in this order. My prayer today is, I mean, listen, that it's not just some scribbled words, listen, that you can't read, but that God would speak this to our heart and that God would begin to redefine what it is to walk with him, what it is to walk in his love and the power of his spirit, to see his grace, as Paul tells Titus. He says, it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. In other words, it's God's grace working in us that compels us. It's his truth that rewires us to see God, ourselves, and others differently as it changes and renews our mind. So go to the scripture. It's not, listen, when you begin to see that in every word, it's not boring. It's not just a task. It's in awe. I was in my office between services and I just looked back at Genesis 11. I was looking at the Tower of Babel. I was looking at Noah and the flood and through it all, I could see those four questions. And again, I was amazed at this plan and the execution of this plan. And that's my heart for you. And listen, if you haven't come to a place of trusting in Jesus to bridge that gap, and maybe it's always been about a religious system and works, then today you can do that. I want to pray for all of us today that our eyes would be open to see this and to see the truth of the gospel. If today you say that for the first time I'm taking a step of faith, I'm going to by faith receive what Jesus has done for me. I want to receive him and this relationship and right relationship with himself. I wanna to come to wholeness in him. I want to be used to fulfill the purpose for which I was created. And listen, well, I'm praying, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, remain standing. We wanna celebrate with you this going from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so I wanna pray if today you say, I want by faith to receive this promise that Jesus has given and you stand to your feet and please remain standing. God, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that we would have eyes, God. God, that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear.
God, that you would help us to know you, God, more and more, not to walk in just head knowledge, but that we would walk in heart knowledge of who you are. God, thank you so much for what you've done, but who you are also, God. Just give us ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, God bless you. Today, you're making a decision for Christ. You're accepting him by faith. I'm gonna ask you that you would come up here and let us just talk with you for just a moment. We wanna help you take your next step. If today, that would be your decision. If uh, some of our prayer team would come down as well. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the weekend.